All right, let's go. I wanted to start by talking about, I made a video. I was basically saying, I don't trust people whose politics are built on revenge. If your politics is fundamentally based on hating people, no matter who that is, I don't trust you because I feel like we're not in this for the same reasons. A lot of people brought up something about a revolution, which I think is interesting because I never said anything about a revolution. I was just talking about people who are, their politics is, is built on hatred. Somebody here is saying that revenge politics aren't good, but all movements and ideologies have, a, have to have a personal motive that drives you to fight for something. Right, I agree. I just, my personal motive and drive is that I love humanity and I want to see human flourishing promoted. So that's, that's the, that's what drives my politics. And if somebody else's politics are built on hating other people, even if they're rich people, even if they're billionaires, even if they quote unquote deserve it, I can't really trust that. You can't build politics on hatred. That is corrosive. Now, of course, you can get angry. You can get pissed off at these people. Believe me, I am for sure. And I wouldn't begrudge anybody for being mad at these people after the way they've completely taken over our government, exploited our people, ground through our culture and society for profit. Of course you would be mad at these people. But you can't hate. You cannot hate. It's corrosive to the soul. And yeah, maybe that's some hippie talk right there, but I really think it's true. You shouldn't be driven by hating other people. You should be driven by loving other people. So it's not that I hate Jeff Bezos. It's that I love Amazon workers. And that leads me to be angry at Jeff Bezos because his workers are on food stamps while he makes a million dollars an hour. But it doesn't start with hating Bezos for me. It starts with loving his workers. That's the point I was trying to get across. And of course, these people are going to have to answer for a lot if we get our way. They're going to have to answer for a lot of the shitty stuff they've done. And like, just to expand on that, I think people like to think that if they were where Jeff Bezos is, they'd be different. Maybe you'd be like the one exception, right? Maybe you'd be the one in a thousand who actually would be Mr. Virtuous and would give all their money away. But the point is, the incentives are to keep your money. The incentives are to continue exploiting people. I don't think Jeff Bezos is uniquely evil. I think he's doing what most people would do given the circumstances and given the situation. If it's either your boot on somebody else's neck or somebody else's boot on your neck, you might as well have your boot on somebody else's neck, right? And it's fucked up, but that's how the world is. But here's the thing. There's a better way to do this. I want to change the rules so it doesn't have to be like that. I want to change the incentive structure because that's really what matters. The problem isn't that Jeff Bezos has however many billions of dollars. The problem is that we have a society that lets people like Jeff Bezos exist while his workers are pissing in bottles because they don't have breaks and are on food stamps. That's the problem. The system is the problem, not Jeff. He's a symptom. He's not the disease. And hating on him is not going to make things better. B 
be easy on people, be hard on systems. If it wasn't Jeff Bezos, it would be somebody else. The incentives are aligned such that somebody who does the things Jeff Bezos does can be successful. A lot of people just want to have a little ego trip and imagine their little revolution in their heads. Seeing the absolutely psychotic way that people approach this stuff and just the absolute vile and hatred I see from some of these people almost makes me not want us to have power because I fear what these people would do if they had power. One almost gets the sense that they don't give a shit about actually making things better. They just want to inflict pain on somebody else because pain was inflicted on them. It's like a kid who's abused and then grows up to be an abuser because he just wants to inflict the pain he felt on somebody else. That's not good, guys. We got to break the cycle. Anyway. Okay, I want to talk about this one because it's kind of time sensitive. Andrew Cuomo is in hot water now. He's the latest in a long line of people who have been outed for sexual harassment, basically. And I have a few choice bits here that I've collected, scraps from around the internet, if you will, that I want to share with you guys. So here's the first one. This woman's name is Charlotte Bennett. And the article says, Governor Cuomo accuser Charlotte Bennett said he tasked her with, quote, finding him a girlfriend then impatiently asked a day later if she had done so. So Cuomo was like asking this staffer, like, I, I need you to find me a girlfriend. My Roblox girlfriend recently broke up with me and I need you to find me a girlfriend. So that's the first one, but it gets better. He asked me a few questions about how to use his iPhone and then send me back to wait. <laughs> oh man. And finally, he calls me back in and asks if I found him a girlfriend yet. I said, not yet. I said I was working on it. <laughs> so he's like, how do I, how do I open the app store? How do I use the app store on my iPhone? And then he's like, so have you found me a girlfriend? What can I say? This is boomer mindset in full effect here, dude. Like, I, I don't know if you need to be looking for a girlfriend right now, man. Maybe you need to get the iPhone thing sorted out. I don't know. I just thought that part was funny. Here's a second person, uh, this Boylan woman. Boylan said she first encountered the governor in January 2016, and her boss at the Economic Development Agency informed her Cuomo had a crush on her. Like, bro, this is the most juvenile, middle school way of like flirting bro is like he goes to the guy and is like tell her i have a crush on her he's like passing notes in class cuomo is really out here with like the sixth grade sexual harassment in october 2017 boylan alleged that cuomo invited her to play strip poker as they were on a government plane together this dude has the weirdest sexual harassment style i think i've ever seen what the what is this guy on I don't know. Look, maybe that's maybe that's normal for a, a fucking New Yorker. You know, maybe that's a, that just what they do in the Big Apple. Another woman said that he uh he like kissed her at a wedding, which made her uncomfortable, but Cuomo said his usual way of greeting people inv involves hugging and kissing, which I guess I believe. There's a lot of pictures of of Andrew Cuomo, you know, kissing people 
But it's like, still, that's not a fucking defense. You can't be a grown man hugging and kissing people on the cheek. That's weird behavior. I'm sorry. And again, maybe I'm just not fucking Italian enough to understand what this guy's doing. I'm not from the Big Apple. So I don't know how they do it down there. <laughs> Here's what he says. He says, you can go find hundreds of pictures of me kissing people. Cromo said Wednesday, which <laughs> that's so funny. He like, uh, somebody's like, yeah, he kissed me and made me uncomfortable. And his defense is like, what? I fucking kiss everybody. That's how we do it in New York. And he says he can't resign. And this is maybe the best part. He can't resign because he has to quote, fix New York. That is awesome. Mm, when I saw that, I was like, yes. He can't resign because he has to catch the Joker. I think a lot of people don't understand that, but he has a job to do and he's not going to let some petty sexual harassment allegations get in his way because he's Andrew Cuomo, goddammit. He's the governor of New York, okay? He has to fix New York. He has to catch the Joker. He has to lock the, the penguin up. He has to catch Poison Ivy and probably sexually harass her too. He's a busy man. So get off his ass, okay? That's all I have to say to you guys. Like I was thinking, I, you know, I would just go over stuff that I've been pondering lately and, uh, you know, try and digest it. So I was watching Stranger Things. I was rewatching, I was rewatching Stranger Things and obviously a very good show. I like that show. But I think there's like an interesting subtext to it. Because the show has like a Cold War motif. The entire reason why the scientists open the portal to the Upside Down and try and summon the Demogorgon is to fight communism, is to beat the Russians. I think the Upside Down has significance because in economic terminology, I would say the Upside Down almost represents like the invisible hand or the, the economic plane. In Stranger Things, you of course have the real world, everything we see and interact with tangibly. But yet the Upside Down is this parallel realm that exists simultaneously with the real world. Now, of course, is any of this a conscious choice by the people making this show? I highly doubt it. But the nice thing about art is that you can read into it whatever you want. And so I'm just going to go with it and say that the Upside Down from Stranger Things represents capitalism the economic plane that moves all the things that you see and experience, all the phenomena that you interact with in the material real plane of existence are influenced by this shadow realm, this upside down that you don't get to see. I think it's not a coincidence that the reason that the U.S. government was trying to open the portal to the upside down to be communism is not a coincidence. I think that also has significance. Opening that portal to the upside down could be likened to like the Reagan revolution, the complete financialization of the economy that was happening in the 1980s. What's the revelation at the end of the newest season? It's that the Russians are actually conducting their own experiments with the upside down. So how does this fit into the hypothesis? Glasnost and Perestroika, the Russian reforms that liberalized the economy, turned it capitalist, 
they were invoking like these dark forces of the market to try and get their goals too. And that's really when the Soviet Union lost because by doing that, they basically admitted that their way of doing things, their experiment in communism had failed. Do you know Steven Crowder? If so, what are your thoughts on him? Oh, yeah, I just saw that uh, that video of Steven Crowder. I don't know, like, basically he was just, he was being racist. He was doing a very, like, racist impression of black people. That dude is a fucking doofus, and I can't believe anybody actually listens to his show. Like, I've, I've been in the car with friends, and they've popped him on. Uh, like, on a road trip, these dudes were playing Steven Crowder's podcast. And it's like, I'm sorry, not only are his politics absolute shit, he's just not funny. Every joke is, like, so forced. I was just, like, looking around at these guys. Like, like, I generally, like, nice dudes and I'm friends with them. But it's like, how do these guys find him funny? Am I crazy here? Could this is, Or is this dude just not not funny at all? And he's not smart either. One of my favorite Steven Crowder videos is where he's talking about socialism. And he brings up a quote from Lenin where Lenin says, Democracy is indispensable to socialism. And he tries to use that as like a smear on the guy. Indispensable means necessary. So Lenin was saying democracy is necessary for socialism. But Stephen acted like he was saying it's like dispensable to socialism. Either he didn't know what indispensable meant or he was uh, intentionally misleading his audience. Either way, I don't know how anybody takes that guy seriously anymore. Most dudes on the right will try and, like, twist statistics or whatever. Steven will just say shit that's just straight up not true. Another thing about Crowder is he always seems to find an excuse to be wearing a dress. Or, like, dressing up in a wig and a dress. Which, nothing wrong with that, but I just think it's funny for a guy as transphobic as him. He always finds an excuse to put one on, which I just think is very interesting. Also, Steven Crowder got waterboarded to, like, prove it wasn't torture, which I got to admit, that's kind of funny. Somebody was talking about, like, uh, ninth graders or, like, high school types who, uh, they, they do stuff just for the sole purpose of owning SJWs or whatever. This is what people mean when they say reactionary. The only reason these kids are like that is as a reaction to like perceived um you know sjw's in the culture and and they they think that uh them posting posting pepes or whatever is uh it's it's an act of rebellion for them and yeah somebody in the comments here is saying that they had so many friends push down that pipeline in middle school and early high school i'm trying to parse out what exactly it is about the online right that is so appealing to middle schoolers and like young high schoolers. And I think it's for several reasons. One of the major reasons is that it seems to be transgressive because SJW culture is sort of painted as like this Puritan force, which tries to limit expression and like shut people down for wrong think, which to be fair, there is honestly a certain element of that. Like, they're not completely wrong about that. But because this image has been painted of uh, the blue-haired SJW 
these middle schoolers, high schoolers, basically are presented uh, a fuck you button in the form of the alt-right. And they're more than willing to press it. The same thing could be said for Trump in 2016. Whether real or perceived, there was this, like, sense of, like, uh, PC culture encroaching. And Trump just presented a big fuck you button for any voter to press. For whatever grievance they had, Trump was the guy that just presented himself as like, hey, hate these people, I'm right here. I'm right here with you. You, And you know what will piss them off more than anything? Voting for me. And enough people did that he became president. Uh, I think the second reason that the... uh, so yeah, I, I think that's the major reason why people will uh, are attracted to the alt-right when they're in middle school and high school, because it seems transgressive to them. It seems edgy. It seems countercultural. Young people are always attracted to something that seems countercultural, which honestly, it's an odd phenomenon that a, a right-wing movement would be perceived as countercultural, because it couldn't be further from the truth. Do you think President Trump set us back 50 years progress-wise? I mean, we're just behind the developed world generally. (laughs) On healthcare, on education, transportation, pretty much uh, any metric, we are already behind. I don't think Trump specifically set us back. He kind of cooked everybody's brain there for a couple years. And honestly, I don't know if we'll ever recover from that. Definitely an idiot, but like people sort of attribute a lot more responsibility to the president for stuff than he actually deserves credit for. Like the internet and social media really are what destroyed our ability to communicate with each other like adults and just turned political discussion into, you know, like a kindergarten classroom. But Trump definitely accelerated it. What should Biden do with the immigration crisis? This is an interesting one. Look, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what any president could do to stop the immigration crisis, but they wouldn't like to hear it. It's sort of simple. Look, all you have to do is fix the countries that these people are coming from, or at the very least, stop fucking with them and purposely like ruining them just because they decide to elect somebody you don't like. It's not like America is so awesome that everybody is just needs to be here so bad. I mean, I think America does a lot of stuff right, but it's not like people just want to like leave their homes and families and culture to come to a completely different country. It's that they are forced to leave. Most of the time, for whatever reason, they have to leave their homes and try and come to the U.S. So if you just made their home countries a decent place to live in, we wouldn't be having this problem in the first place. So yeah, I mean, that's how you solve the like immigration crisis or whatever. It's not making a border wall. That's childish. And honestly, I haven't even seen a solution from Biden because Biden's governing strategy is completely unequipped to deal with any immigration crisis. I imagine what Biden's going to do is probably just pretty much the same thing Trump did, but in like a nicer way. And the media is going to be nicer to him about it and not be tough on him like they were with Trump. So probably nothing is going to happen as far as that goes, uh, because obviously he's not interested in actually like doing what we all know needs to be done to solve this. 
And additionally, that work of like actually improving these countries to the point where people don't feel the need to leave would take a long time. It would be a long-term project, much like climate change. And unfortunately, long-term projects, especially something like this that would cost a lot of money, these types of projects are very unpopular. People aren't interested in actually solving these long-term issues. They just want a quick fix. They want to see immediate results. And unfortunately, that's not how things happen. But people who promise the quick fix or the easy result always win elections. So that's kind of one of the pitfalls of democracy. And that's one of the reasons China is beating us. Because America and American corporations are unable to think long term. They seek short term profit. They seek immediate results. They seek growth. Whereas China is able to actually think ahead, plan, and have a long term strategy for this stuff. Now, I think China is a lot weaker than they may appear, but they're certainly a threat to U.S. hegemony. Unfortunately, I don't think they're any better than the U.S., and they're probably a lot worse than us, actually, if that's even possible. But they're really going to give us a run for our money in the next 50 years here because they, through their state capitalist economy and lack of democratic constraints on the levers of power, are able to plan things and coordinate things on a level the U.S. could never dream of. And, and I want to make clear, I'm not praising their government. I'm just saying, like, yeah, that is one of the uh, benefits of, like, a brutal autocratic system. You don't have to answer to the people, which makes you a little more efficient. Obviously, I think, on balance, the democratic way is better. But uh, you got to give them credit where credit is due. Are you for a two-state solution? Honestly, as far as the Israel-Palestine thing goes, I really can't be bothered to give a fuck about that. Those guys really need to chill the fuck out. That's my answer. Who cares? You're, you're really going to launch bombs at each other because one guy's on your little fucking holy rock or whatever? At this point, those two should just handle their own mess. It's, it's their fault. They're in that situation. They clearly are not being rational here. They need to chill out until they're willing to like be adults about this thing. Uh, it's about ancestral homeland. Yeah, exactly. It's like, fuck your ancestral homeland. I don't know. If, if it's going to cause you to pick up a gun and start shooting people, then fuck your ancestral homeland. I don't care. You need to chill. Like, you, can't, you can't kill people over that. And it's, and it's, I don't, I don't know who even says it's their ancestral homeland. I'm not taking sides here. I'm just saying it's dumb to fight over a little plot of land like that. It's childish. That's what children do. Really, they need to chill. Nobody gets to have it. That's my answer. Israel is now off limits. No humans allowed. Your Israel privileges are revoked. Nobody gets the Holy Land. Keep the Holy Land holy. Don't let anybody in there. Just let it be holy. Just, just let it chill. Why do poor whites vote against their own interests? Um, I think it's primarily because their natural class instincts and their class interests are sublimated by the media into alternative explanations. QAnon, for example, blames a shadow cabal of Satanists who want to eat babies for why things are bad and the economy is not working for them. 
A lot of Republicans just blame minorities for why the economy doesn't work for them. But basically, the media acts as a scrambler, which sublimates class interests into all these weird directions. It just, the media takes this stuff that people would naturally recognize, right? Their class interests, their material interests, and it refracts it into a bunch of substitute phenomenon such as racism and conspiracy theory. Of course, there's also the fact that a lot of people have been tricked by this illusion that uh, the wealth will trickle down and that if you just give uh, the 1% and the rich more than they already have in the form of like tax cuts and control over our political system, that if you just give them everything, uh, they'll trickle it down to you. When in reality, that trickle is actually just them pissing on you. Why would they trickle any of that down? Their goal is to keep as much of it as they can for themselves because they're hoarders. So yeah, that's why I think that uh, people vote against their class interests because they've somehow been convinced that uh, they don't have class interests. Or that if they do, that they can accomplish their class interests by making the lives of minorities worse and funneling all the money to the top.